When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. It is a football Friday on Birds 365 on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. If you're linked in with us via phillyvoice.com, we thank you for doing that. You've got the Mac and Mac guys, McMullen and McDonald, hanging with you, talking all things football, mostly birds, over the next two hours. Johnny Mac, how are you this morning? Doing well, Jody. Happy Friday. We're at the end of another week. Let's finish it strong with some takes. We were talking about takes pre-game, the pre-game show. We will have takes, and we will have Mr. Takeoff himself. Johnny Sunshine, John Clark, is going to jump on board in our number two here today. Uh, Yes, it is a football Friday. What does football Friday mean to John McMullen? Well, in season, I think it's a little bit easier. Uh, Off-season, you know, I say this all the time, Jody. And I, I, I've had this conversation with my wife for 20 years, basically. She's like, I'm busier in the offseason. And she does not understand why. And I try to explain it. I try to explain it. But it never hits home for people who don't understand this industry. And believe me, the, the minute, you know, I get some free time, she wants me to get away from football. But uh you know, there's so much going on. And obviously the lead up to the draft. Um, and this is the time of the year where teams around this league are are in their final meetings, stacking their boards. So one of the things I always enjoy, you know, with draft Twitter is this guy's rising, this guy's falling. How can he possibly rise? How can he possibly fall when they haven't even set their boards? Which you know, I'm excited. By the way, next week, a little preview. I'm going to get Blake Benenfield on the show, who, not a big name, but was director of college scouting with the Titans for like two decades. So I think that's going to be interesting for fans to see how, how boards are built and, you know, how little. I always say you knock it down to 150, sometimes even less, sometimes 125 players. So you see all these draft sites that grade 400 players. Right. Um, yeah, there's no team in this league that has 400 players on the board. So you might be arguing about a guy who you saw play Alabama and you said, wow, this guy's pretty talented. He might not even be on the Eagles board, might be a medical situation, uh, might be a personal situation they think is a red flag, what have you. But football Friday to me never ends, Jody. I mean, it, it, it's obviously you don't have that end game of a, a Sunday game, but hey, 
There's a reason Birds 365 exists. <laughs> Agreed. And you look at it from a writer's perspective. I look at it from a talk, <laughs> talk show guy's perspective. I'm one of the few, I guess, who understand that it's actually uh, more work. There's more to do in the offseason than there is during the regular season because regular season is pretty damn formatic. You know mm -hmm. the game's coming up. You're talking about matchups. You're researching former uh, outcomes of games against the team, maybe even earlier that season. You have to find things to discuss and break down and add information to and put a perspective on during the offseason. It's not handed to you the way it is during the regular season. You get no, the schedule. No. You know who the team's playing. You know what the matchup's going to be. Boom. That's what you're going to work on. That's where you're going to formulate your stories from. During the offseason, you don't know where it's coming from, so you got to work a little bit harder to be out in front of it and be able to maybe find information out as it's happening or even before it happens. Yeah, I mean, I always talk about Bill Parcells. He 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 gives his guys, sort of guys that grew up on the Bill Parcells trees that, that got head coaching jobs around this league, he tends to give them advice if they ask for it. And most are going to ask from a, from a Hall of Fame head coach. And one of the things he said is, it always says it's three or four things happen in the NFL you don't want to happen every day. And if you can't deal with it, you better get another job. And, you know, there's high-profile situations like Deshaun Watson and what he's going through right now. Now, even if he didn't have discord with the Houston Texans, could you imagine everything going uh, swimmingly? Uh, in Houston with Deshaun Watson, all of a sudden Ooh. you got to deal with these out, and you don't know if you're going to have your star quarterback for next season. You have the pandemic. Obviously, everybody had to deal with that. Nobody saw that coming. And then there's just little things like, oh, discord, because something came out in the athletic that says we're the most dysfunctional organization in the history of mankind. Something is always being thrown at you. And that's why it's such a difficult job. That's why it's such a big job. And Nick Sirianni is a first-time head coach, as a rookie head coach, he's going to have some growing pains. You know how I know that, Jody? Because everybody does. Everybody. It is such a big job. What they say about the president of the United States is, you know, people talk experience. I'm not going to get political on people, but they always talk experience. So-and-so did this. So-and-so did that. There's no experience for that job. None. Zero. You get in, you learn on the job. Same thing with head coach. You can be in a coordinator for 10, 15 years. You're dealing with the offensive side of the football. You're dealing with X's and O's. You, you get moved up to head coach. There's a hundred more things on your plate. Understood. Uh, and that's funny that you make the analogy that way. I would say the guy who currently resides in the Oval Office actually had pretty good training by being the vice president for eight years. Is it the same thing as being president? No. Not even close. Nope. It's like being close. an offensive coordinator and then being asked to right. take over the whole team and become the head coach. It gets uh, that much more difficult. But uh, I'd rather have a guy who is at least got a sense of what it's going to be like to be well, you could have you could have you could have better experience you know than saying being a re reality television star uh to to going to president of the united states but it doesn't matter vice president i mean come on that's like that's that's ceremonial more than anything else not like being an offensive coordinator for a national football league team no, you tell me no offensive coordinator has some teeth to it has some <laughs> meat to it Vice President, did you ever see Veep on HBO, Jody? 
Uh, a couple times, yes. Wasn't a huge fan of the show, but I did see several episodes. I was a huge fan of the show, but I love Julia Louis-Dreyfus so, um, from Seinfeld. So, But it gave you an indication. The vice president, yeah, sit over there. <laughs> and, and look good while you're at it, if you can. Yeah. Um, I want to tie a couple of things together. You mentioned the dysfunction of the Eagles. For those of you who didn't see our show yesterday on the Jacob Media channel, um, you can go back and watch it now, of course, and I think you should, because we had two very good guests on, Kevin Kikade of Crossing Broad, and Ron Jaworski uh, was with us as well. Kevin was on talking about something he put in uh, one of his hits on uh, Crossing Broad that maybe, just maybe, we're overreacting to the dysfunction of the Philadelphia Eagles. Big article came out, Athletic. We've done uh, enough about that all week. You understand what we're talking about. Eagles have issues in fighting between departments uh, and the like. But Kevin said, yeah, we've seen this. Been there, done that. It's not like the Eagles haven't been looked at as a uh, dysfunctional organization (laughs) before. Certainly when the Chip Kelly era ended and how it ended, that was the case. And damn if just two years later, they were sitting on the top of the football world having won the Super Bowl. Uh, It's a fair point by Kincaid. And then we had Ron Jaworski on and he kind of added to it because I asked him. I told him, please put your... Football evaluator, which he's been doing for 25 plus years, aside, put your friend to the Philadelphia Eagles advising Jeffrey Laurie and the like aside. Just give me the ex-quarterback, ex-NFL player perspective on this. As a player, when you know there is dysfunction around you, that there are reports out like there are on the Eagles, that there is whispers and talking in the locker room, hanging with guys afterwards, you get the feeling that not everybody's on the same page and there's stuff to be dealt with. Can you, as a player, just narrow focus in on what your job is to prepare for that week's upcoming game, to get better at what you're being asked to do on a week-in, week-out basis? And George was pretty definitive in in his answer. He said, oh, that's easy. You Mm. do it. You know you're supposed to do it and you should be capable of doing it. Get rid of the white noise around you. Don't let that interfere with what you do and i think yours was being 100 truthful with us here's my only question yours could do it because george is a pretty smart guy i think he proved that when he was a player and i think he's done nothing but prove it afterwards and everything that he's done is an ounce of work is uh, off the field businesses running all the golf clubs that he does the success that he's become he was certainly capable of doing it but does it mean that every player can do that or do some people let their environment overly uh they overly react to it let too much get into their heads during the season jaws said no it's easy but was it easy just for jaws or is it easy for every football player do you think well i think we know where you're going there and the comp the, the comparison of carson wentz and jalen hurts no it's not easy for every player um And I think you have to parse it out as well, Jody, in two ways. I think it's easy for pretty much any player to parse out things like dysfunction about the organization. What do they care? They're just going to show up to work and do their job. But when it becomes personal, that's where it becomes difficult for players. And Jalen Hurts calls it rat poison, um, which he got from Nick Saban, obviously, and that's what he preaches to his players. Um, You're going to get criticism. Uh, if you're a, a public facing uh, uh, person in any industry, you're going to get criticism, certainly in 
a sport like football, professional football, when you have such emotion with the fan base. I mean, we've seen guys, you know, drop a pass and get death threats. And I mean, it's insane out there at times. So that's a little bit more difficult. And some guys do a better job of compartmentalizing it than others. I think the two most notable here that had difficulties with it um, would be Nelson Aguilar and Carson Wentz. And it's hard, Jody. It's hard. But from a team perspective, I'll also say, look, we'll parse that out. And what Kevin Kincaid said about dysfunction not being that big of a deal, pointing back to 2015, pointing back to the end of Andy Reid's uh, regime here, there was a lot of dysfunction. I will say there's a difference between the perception of dysfunction um, and real dysfunction inside the building. That's the part that's hard to ascertain because, you know, even if you go back and I told that story yesterday on the show with Tom Gamble getting escorted off the, <laughs> the grounds of the Novacare complex. Well, when he's fired, he's fired. He's outside the building. What we have now, so you can move on. What we have now is, you know, scouting staff against analytical staff, whatever, Alec Hallaby reporting directly to Jeffrey Lurie, all these people are still there. Right. And if the scouting staff is saying, you know, what the heck is going on? We saw our board. I just mentioned they're putting together their board, you know, and if draft day comes and you say, okay, well, we went through this contingency, we're going to pick so-and-so and somebody else is handed in. You're like, what the hell? What am I, what's going on here? And that's pretty much defined what has happened to the Eagles at times over the past two years. I like your take on it that if it's directed at you, if some of the white noise is about you, and oh, by the way, the quarterback position, it's always going it's to be always, both good yeah. and or bad. It's a given that you're going to be a big part of the white noise. Uh, but for all the other players, if it's directly about you, like Nelson Aguilar, I just stated, yeah, it's going to be tough for you to be above and beyond it and just not have it affect you in any way, shape, or form. But what if it's about the coach? Because the coach is your direct supervisor. He's the guy you're reporting to. Position coach, yes. But the head coach, you know, is the big boss. And every player is responsible to him. If he's under fire, under siege, questions are popping up about him, he's being second-guessed and the like. Can you just take yourself out of that, too, and say, well, I know they're questioning Dougie P and his play calling and this, that, and the other thing, but, hey, I'm running my routes. I'm getting out there. I'm getting open. My position coach is acknowledging that I'm doing my job. Can you do that when it comes to uh, some white noise about the coach? Well, I think that depends on whether you have respect for the coach or not. I mean, in a lot of ways – Look, if you think the head coach is doing a bad job, if you think you're a bad football team because you're going to be coached poorly, well, then I think it becomes who cares. You know, you're going to go to work and you're going to do your job because you kind of understand as a player, if your future isn't here, it's got to be somewhere else next year. And if you're putting Drek on film, other teams are going to see it as well. So I think a lot of that takes care of itself. But if you really like the coach and you think he's taking unfair hits, and I think that was what was going on with Doug Peterson in a lot of ways last year, last season, um, 
I think, yeah, you start to fight. You start to get a little bit angry. You start to get a little bit defensive. And obviously the, the, the latter is better than the former. But players got to play. I mean, it, if they don't play, as I said, that eye in the sky is there. They see it. And they're not only shooting themselves in the foot in Philadelphia. They're shooting themselves in the foot everywhere else in a potential next chapter of their, their career. As a guy who's worked many a locker room, a little bit more difficult these days in a COVID environment in which we're in, you don't get as big, wide-ranging a field from the players after a game as uh, we used to, and hopefully we get back to that someday. This is a famous phrase that has still carried weight many, many, many years after. Go out and win one for the Gipper. Yeah. Which is yeah. talking about rallying behind a coach that may be under fire, under question, and the like, that he is such a popular figure and his players really do enjoy playing for him, trust playing for him, want to go out and play for him. The old, another overused phrase, run into a uh, wall. Wall, him, run that wall, wall behind us. Charity. Right, uh, our brick wall right here yeah. on Birds 365. Um, did you get that feeling at all this year for Doug Peterson? I, I didn't pick it up, pick up on it. I'm not there in the locker room like you are. I'm not on the Zoom conferences like you are afterwards. I don't have uh, individual relationships with Eagle players like you do with some uh, and other people's works. Do you think that was at all in play this year? Or if not, what does that tell us about Doug Peterson and that Eagle locker room? I got to tell you, I didn't see a lot of effort problems with the Eagles. I just think they stunk. I just think they had a bad football team. I think the strength of this team was the offensive line. It was devastated to the point where they set an, an NFL record of whatever it was, I think 14 different offensive line groups over 17 weeks. Um, it's hard to win that way in this league. That's where it starts. If you can't block, you can't do anything. So, one thing I never questioned was the effort going on for the most part. And there's always individuals. You can point to individual plays, whatever, that happens. But no, I never, ever got a sense that these guys had stopped playing. And one of the reasons why I think was because of Doug Peterson and the fact that the vast majority of those people did like him, uh, did respect him, did want him to come back as the head coach. Um, but while I say that when the, when the page is turned, you'll also see, especially with the pros, the guys who've been through it, the guys who've been around for a long time, the Brandon Gramps, the Jason Kelsey, they know the industry. I mean, life marches on, unfortunately, um, you got to play for the next guy and you got to do your job. That kind of goes back to what we're saying about compartmentalizing, um, so it, no, I, I don't think I don't think anybody outside of perhaps Carson Wentz uh, at the end would have said I I, I and I'm not even going to say it with Carson, but because I don't believe he would overtly say I want Doug fired. Obviously, the relationship was strained. Whatever word you want to use, fractured, whatever, it was definitely strained. But other than that, all these guys love Doug. I, I agree with your stance of effort wasn't, uh, efforts didn't retract or be less or go backwards. 
But sometimes here's what the way I always thought of go out and win one for the Gipper. If here's your effort level, here's 100%, say, whatever it is. If there is the possibility of going to 110 or 120, which we know in reality, that's not the case. But can you go above and beyond what your normal level of effort is? Can you go and and go past that and just turn it up a couple of notches? That, to me, would define win one for the Gipper. You have your normal effort level, and then you go even higher. I don't think I saw that. Sometimes, you're right, if people get a sense that the coach is on his way out and you won't be reporting to him at all, uh, anymore, here's your effort level. All of a sudden, your effort level is here that you just say, well, I don't have to worry about this anymore because this coach is going to be gone. I just have to come in and, and impress the next guy. I don't think the, the level dropped off. I think they kept their level for Coach Peterson. But I don't know if anybody went above and beyond. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with success, to be honest. I think it's easy to go to work if, you know, it's a sunny day and everything's going well uh, and everything's clicking. And a lot of people are are listening to us on Birds 365, which they are. And thank you. It's easy to get up. It's easy to You know, if you're 4 and 11 and you got to go play that last game, well, you know, I, I'm. It, it's pretty good. If you keep that even keel, it's actually pretty good because human nature will tell you to go, oh, what was me? Let's get the heck out of here. I got my bags back. I got my vacation planned. So I, I think winning and losing is is a bigger impact on that is is what I'm trying to get to. I don't think it necessarily has to do. You know, it's funny when you say win one for the Gipper or you say, it's always a big spot, right, Jody? It's never when you're 0-15 winning the 16th game to keep – Don't go there. That's what the Jets did this year, and that's why <laughs> they're not going to have trouble. And they're not oh, trying – please, please don't rub salt in those wounds, Mr. McMullen. But, Jody, they're not trying to save Adam Gase's job. No. They're, they just happen to – you know, there's a lot of good football players on every NFL team, even the New York Jets, and sometimes you stumble into a win. That's exactly what happened there. Uh, your point well taken about going above and beyond. The sad thing about it is week 16 and week 17 were really the only two weeks that the Eagles could fall on their sword and say, woe is us, we're out of it. Yeah. They were in it till week 15 yeah. because they were playing in the NFC least. They really only had two weeks where they said, well, we're dead in the water. Are we really going to go out and uh, risk injury uh, for a season that is lost? They, the season wasn't actually lost until there were two games left to go. Can this upcoming season be better? We'll talk about that and a whole bunch of things with our first guest of the day. Nick Fierro of the Youngtown Morning Call is going to hop aboard with us. He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. Mac and Mac guys right here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. 
the middle. So, bro, I know we're gonna get on that, but I, I, I gotta say, happy birthdays to the to the kids in the stream. You know what I'm saying? We we looking, we checking it out. Happy birthday to your, your kids, man. You know what I'm to saying? Who? The kids, man. I'm watching the stream, man. What stream? It's double birthdays. You got to keep your eyes yeah, off that stream. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> no, you have a conversation with the stream, and nobody has any idea what you're talking about. You got to give us a heads up. Get you hip to it. Because they get you hip to it. No, no, no. We I have no idea what you're talking bro. about. So now we're in the middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Happy right. birthday. Happy birthday yeah. to who? I have no idea what was, I, what's going on right now. I, I can just imagine people listening on Sports Map Radio just like, what did he just say? Who's he talking to? Play action real. Play action real. His son, Nick. Happy birthday, bro. And All then, right. Now, now everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, uh, 16 today. Yeah. I mean, calling BS today. Seriously. This is like A.C. Green selling that he right. was a virgin back with Showtime. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers, we are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds, and planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming, it's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. A football Friday here on Birch 365. Oh, it'll be a different football Friday when the season gets here. We'll be prepping for an upcoming Eagles game uh, and look forward to doing those. And, yes, part of doing a football Friday is football predictions. We don't have to make any of those now. Other than the upcoming NFL draft, that is one of several things we're going to talk about with our first guest today. Hopping aboard here on Birds 365 is Nick Fierro with the Allentown Morning Call. Nick, you got you're out with the Mac and Mac guys. Thanks for being part of Birds 365. How you doing today? I'm doing great. Sorry, I, I get in so late. I thought I was uh, going to be calling in, and I didn't realize this was a uh, streaming uh, podcast show. here, yeah. where you're going to be seeing my ugly mug driving people away. Uh, hey, well, they got already the driven away. To start with so uh, you're Nick, you're, improving, you're not going to win any beauty pageants yeah. here. You're improving the room, Nick. Trust me. Nick, let me uh, ask you about the upcoming draft, since that's what we were talking about uh, right before I punch you up. Um, Eagles sitting at number 12, 11 overall picks. There is hay to be made here. How much pressure is on Howie Roseman in particular with this year's upcoming draft? I think a lot because uh, of how poorly they performed overall, just, you know, generally uh, over the last, you know, 
10 years. I, I just, uh, they, they haven't had that many real good ones. And uh, now that they've finally committed uh, to really going young and, uh, and not trying to, you know, live in the past anymore, uh, they have to start hitting on some guys. I mean, you know, they have 11 picks. If they end up using all 11 and don't make a trade or anything and stay where they're at, they don't necessarily have to hit big on this first pick, but they have to hit big, you know, with some of them. You know, they have to hit a few home runs. Uh, singles don't count anymore. So, you know, I mean, I, they, 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 don't, they haven't done enough there. And, and it, would, it would just, you know, it, it would start with a, with a really good uh, number one pick. And, and it's hard to imagine that they won't get a really good player at number 12. Well, Nick, I want to talk to you about the collaborative process because what came out this week, you know, the Eagles constantly talk about that. I remember when Joe Douglas was still here, they used that goofy cohabitation matrix term. You remember that? And, um, you know, they always play up. Everything's collaborative. We welcome ideas from anybody in the organization. And then you hear these stories and, we had some of the athletic guys who, who did the big uh, expose sort of earlier this week. And, you know, the scouting staff doesn't know what the analytics staff is doing, who's reporting directly to Lori. We all always talk Roseman. Lori's putting his thumb on the scales for Jalen Hurts, J.J. Ortega Whiteside. And you kind of wrote about that. You tweeted, you kind of foreshadowed that back in the day when there was all the talk about Jim Swartz undermining Doug Peterson, you never bought this whole collaborative setup. Can you tell us why? Yeah, because it's just not going to work. I mean, you know, the only reason it worked for so long is because of Doug Peterson's personality. I believe, uh, you know, such an easygoing guy and he was able to make things work. Um, And I, you know, it's really amazing that the things came together for them so much to that, that won the Super Bowl. And I, I remember writing that uh, in my column then, it was in September of 2017, it was before that they even started that Super Bowl run, that, that this was going to end badly between the Eagles and Doug Peterson, even if they did win the Super Bowl. Uh, because um, it, at some point, Doug is going to want to, you know, exercise his uh, you know, control or, you know, put more of a stamp on, on the team than he, than he, had, than he already did. And um, and he was going to be rejected that way, and either that or they don't win the Super Bowl, and he's going to be the uh, the scapegoat. And um, uh, so, uh, yeah, they uh, this this was not this this was kind of a bad setup from the start, and I think it's uh, it came out of uh, the Chip Kelly thing. You know, uh, I think uh, Jeffrey Lurie was was spooked by uh, by what happened there by the one year that uh, Chip Kelly had control of the roster. And started to wreck it, <laughs> um, and he, they were going in the wrong direction. And I, I agree that he had to pull the plug on Chip when he did. But uh, but then they went in such an opposite direction, and uh, and then they got false feedback by winning the Super Bowl, making it worse. Um, and that's that was really kind of the problem. In, in a in in a way, winning the Super Bowl kind of uh, got this team going, even if further in the wrong direction. Let's start by working with the assumption, as you said, that the Eagles last five years, seven years, eight years, 
drafting has not been good enough. If you uh, have to reach level X and they're coming below that, the drafts haven't been good enough. I believe in the collaborative effect. I think it is the best way to do things, but there is one really important piece to it, and that's the guy at the top of the pyramid. You have to have a guy at the very top who is going to be able to take all that information in, decipher it all, be able to make the selection when the time comes and or the move, if you're trading down or traded up. You need to have that top guy be very good. So if you say the Eagle draft hasn't worked for me, that means Howie Roseman hasn't been able to get his job done. All the others contribute, but it comes down to Howie at the end of the day. Buck stops with him. Has he not gotten the job done because he's not as good an administrator and being able to take all that collaborative information? Is it because he's just not that good a football judge? If the Eagle drafting has been left wanting and we're leaving it at Howie's doorstep, what aspect of the draft, what aspect of Howie's personality is coming up short? I'm not sure because I thought you were talking about Lurie if you're talking about at the top. And the more, the further we get into this process, the more it's looking like Lurie is really involved in everything. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, Howie Roseman is just doing what Jeffrey Lurie wants. And if that's the case, then he's a pretty good GM, right? I mean, he's, he's execute, not only executing what the owner wants done, but he's taking all the heat for it on top yeah. of it. And so that, that's a pretty good GM as far as the Eagles are concerned. Um, you know, what, what is it about Howie's personality? I, I don't know. I, I don't, he's not the worst GM in the league. By far, I mean, he's probably right in the middle. He, he's, uh, he hasn't really hit on that many draft picks, but he's done really well with a lot of veteran signings. Um, he's obviously really good at negotiating contracts and, and uh, figuring out the cap. Um, the, the Eagles were really in cap hell this year. Uh, they got out of it. They were able to get – I mean, they couldn't get everybody that they wanted, but they, you know, they weren't uh, – they were able to come through this offseason without getting rid of anybody that they were really counting on for 2021 anyway. Well, that's pretty good. So, um, but yeah, it's, it really just comes down to hitting on the draft picks. Um, and, uh, my, my feeling is that, uh, you know, a lot of people were talking about Doug Peterson, maybe giving up play calling. Um, maybe, maybe it's time for, for Howie to give up play calling just for three days a year. <laughs> you know, uh, Nick, you mentioned a word that kind of, uh, perk me up there and that's scapegoating. And I think you're right. I think if you're being fair, Howie Roseman is top half GM in this league. So 32 teams, he's certainly in the top 16, uh, I would say, if you're being fair. But that scapegoating term has kind of defined Jeffrey Lurie to me over the past couple years, post-Super Bowl. Because if you think about forcing Mike Rowe out, if you think about forcing Carson Walsh out, these are guys Doug Peterson wanted to keep. Uh, why was he unable to do that? Uh, this year, you know, Doug was going to come back. And they asked him his plan. He wanted to elevate Press Taylor to be offensive coordinator, Matt Burke to be defensive coordinator. Jeffrey Laurie didn't like that plan. Wanted him to go to a dip, uh, different direction. Doug finally put his foot down. What? Why the scapegoating? And why, if you're going to scapegoat, to me, you know, certainly position coaches, but even coordinators, 
I mean, isn't that ignoring the real problem just by from a common sense standpoint? Because what they don't have as much power as the head coach, the GM, the director of analytics, who whomever. So yeah, I mean, I, and and for the owner to to make these kinds of judgments on coaches. Now, especially in, in some cases, only after one season. I, I'm not really getting that. Um, you know, so a lot of these guys came on board just last year. And, and, you know, Lord knows how many of those changes were kind of forced upon Doug to begin with. And now, you know, Doug wants to promote one of them, uh, wanted to promote a couple of them, you know, Press Taylor, and, and he wanted to promote um, uh, Briner. And, and, and Briner. And Andrew Briner. Um, you know, yeah. we, we don't even do it. We never even met Andrew Briner. Nope. Um, you know, nope. you know, it's never crazy. met him. Um, it, it's really crazy. By the way, I, I was trying to, to get him for forever through the Eagles because his family is from Easton and uh, local for us. Uh, but anyway, uh, w- wouldn't, wouldn't work out. Uh, could, couldn't get that worked out. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, that's, that just really uh, underscores, I think, a lot of dysfunction there. And, and the power and it shows what, what the power structure is like and that, uh, you know, unless Jeffrey Lurie is, is uh, you know, making better decisions, this team's going to be in some trouble because Jeffrey Lurie's got his fingerprints all over this crime scene. He does. And that was going to be my next point. John, you mentioned Howie in the top half of general managers in the league. In some ways, yes. In other ways, no. And a key one that he's not is, at least in my belief, and again, none of us know this for sure. We're not flies in the room when Jeff Laurie and Howie Roseman are having their conversations. We can assume, we can believe, we can project that Jeff Laurie has X amount of influence on every single personnel move that the Eagles make, but we don't know it for sure. Every once in a while, Howie's got to be able to reel Jeffrey in. He's got to tell him, yeah, Jeff, but. And be able to make a cogent argument why a flip side, a different move, another way to go is actually the better way. You got to be able to talk your boss back every once in a while. I know he's the boss. I'm not telling you what I'm asking Howie Roseman to do is easy. It is not. I acknowledge that. But I think the really good general managers can keep a hands-on owner at least at some distance. So he's not making every single call on every single player. And in that way, I think Howie Roseman has come up short. I think he's been more of a survivor than a take a stand kind of guy that, you know, boss, I love you. I know it's your team. And if you order me to do this, I'll do it. But let me explain to you why going in this different direction is a better way to go for the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't know how often he makes that statement. I don't know how often he takes that chance. And if he doesn't, I can't put him in the top half of general managers in the league. Yeah, exactly. I, I think you're right. I, I, I got no argument with anything you say there. Uh, he's more of, of a survivor than a doer. And, um, you know, but we've reached a point here now where uh, maybe maybe we're going to get some more clarity on that. And, and maybe we're uh, maybe we'll see some movement there, too, if, if things don't happen um, a little bit better with the draft and with the young players that they're getting and how they develop them, too. And, you know, I mean, there, there was uh, – <sighs> It used to be when the Eagles got rid of players, they, they would never be really much of amount to much of anything elsewhere, you know, back in the day. But now they're getting rid of players that, that go and have, you know, decent careers somewhere else, uh, including some of the young players. 
um, you know, you wonder how good they, they were at, uh, or how patient they were maybe with, with developing, uh, have been with developing guys. But either way, that, that all falls under the, the GM. And in this case with the Eagles, the owner, you know, people like to, uh, people love to, to really kind of get on Jerry Jones for, you know, his meddling in the, in the Dallas Cowboys. And he, he actually is the GM uh, the self-proclaimed GM, but you know, at least Jerry Jones played division one football, you know, back in, you know, 1873 or whatever it was, <laughs> but you know, Jeffrey Lurie, you know, didn't, uh, not that that makes you any, you know, less qualified or more qualified, but you know, I mean, for, for God's sakes, uh, you know, it's, at some point you, you have to, you have to, you kind of look in the mirror and say, okay, maybe, maybe my instincts are not the best and maybe I have to, you know, turn it, turn it uh, to my football people and let them go and uh, and just keep a mouth shut for, for a couple of years and see how that works. Well, let's run with that, Nick, because I think you're right. But one thing about Jerry Jones, he's not self-proclaimed. He's self-appointed. And what I respect about Jerry Jones is he takes the heat. He loves it. I mean, he loves to hold court. He, he goes on the radio every week in Dallas. He, he's got media uh, – uh, uh, scrums all the time before the pandemic. He was the first guy to have an in-person press conference after the pandemic. At least he holds himself accountable. That's my biggest problem with Jeffrey Lurie. We talk to him, what, twice a year? He does a state of the team address. Uh, he generally talks at the league meetings. Other than that, where's Waldo? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, with Jerry, you always know exactly what he's thinking. Um, you know, if, if we were covering the team, it would be a dream. You know, yeah. he's accessible, okay. uh, not just every week, but after every game, before, before and after every game, uh, during the season. Um, and, you, you know, exactly where he stands on things. Um, with, with Jeffrey Lurie, we have so many questions built up, you know, the, with the two access uh, – media access availabilities that we have with every year that, you know, we end up getting bogged down and, you know, when, when are you going to be able to, to change your, uh, you know, go back to the Kelly green throwback oh, God. Of the moment oh, God. All that stuff. and and so that stuff, we shouldn't even be, be you, you, that stuff shouldn't even be coming up in those, these meetings because we have too many other things to unpack, but unfortunately that's what happens. And uh, yeah, it, it's uh, yeah. Well, we but, do get a wave at practice now, every once in a while. That's about it. We get a wave yeah. at practice every yeah. once in a while. <laughs> but I, I think now, though, I, I think after everything that's come out, uh, maybe maybe uh, that the direction is going to change here the next time Jeffrey Lurie does make himself available. Uh, that would be interesting, uh, uh, you know, to, to answer questions. Uh, to, you know, it, it, there won't be any more softballs thrown at him. Um, it, it will be about exactly how he is involved. And, and and what he's doing to to affect change on this team, and and if he trusts his football people enough to let them go without his intervention. All right, Nick, we've uh, talked plenty about off the field and front office stuff. Let's bring it back onto the field. Season ends. Birds are four eleven and one. There's a reason that they had the six pick in the draft. Now of the twelve traded back, but had the six pick in the draft that allows a year, and the standings say so. All three teams in the NFC least, and I do use that word uh, because I mean it, uh, finished ahead of them. 
they got a lot of work to do to make up, to get above the Washington football team, the Dallas Cowboys, and the New York Giants. During this offseason, I think the three teams that finished ahead of them have also done more to improve their roster than the Eagles have. Here's where I'll cut Howie Roseman some slack. He helped to create the cap mess that the Eagles were in. He has worked hard to uh, get them into a position to get some free agents. They didn't have much space at all, so their free agent additions have been okay at best, which is better than nothing. But I do believe all three teams in the division have improved more via free agency than the Eagles. Is that a fair statement? I would say probably, yeah, they, they have. But, uh, but I, I want to say this, too, that, and it was just the same thing, you know, coming out of 2015 and coming out of 2016, that I don't know that the Eagles are, in, are a 4-11 and one team personnel-wise. They had a lot of injuries last year. Of course, they've had a lot of injuries every year. You know, the whole Doug Peterson era could be described as that, even the Super Bowl year. But, you know, it had things not going sideways with that offensive line last year when you're losing starters and then you're losing backups and then you're backups to the backups. Um, you know, maybe they would have won the division at least, you know, and been in the playoffs. And then we might be looking at a whole different situation. You're, we're talking about difference of only maybe two games um, in, in that situation. Um, you know, are, are they really that deficient in personnel? Well, I think they're close, actually, on offense. And and I think that, uh, you know, with defense, depending on the scheme, that they, they need some, you know, they definitely need some players. Um, but. Uh, are, are they a four eleven and one personnel squad? You know that. Uh, no, nah, I, I don't think so. And and I think that um, you know the the thought that it's going to take three years to turn this around. Oh, there's no more three years in the league. You know. Yes. Yeah, no. no if, if they're not, you know, if they're not back in the play, every every coach that Jeffrey Lurie has ever hired since he's become the owner has been, has had the Eagles in the playoffs within two seasons. I would expect the same here, or things might be changed with Nick Sirianni. Talking with Nick Fierro, my buddy from the Allentown Morning Call. Read his stuff. He does a great job. Endcall.com. Um, Nick, you mentioned that offensive line. That's what I kind of hang my hat on. There's a lot of ifs, but if Brandon Brooks is healthy, if Lane Johnson is healthy, if Jason Kelsey keeps playing at an all-pro level, there's no way this is a four-win team. I mean, that's a top-five offensive line in the NFL. Even with Andre Dillard, Jordan Mailata, whoever wins that sort of battle for left tackle, and then you have Isaac Sayamala, who's solid but not great, that's, that's a pretty good offensive line, and that's a good foundation for Nick Sirianni and a first-time starting quarterback and Jalen Hurts. Is that how yeah, you see exactly. it? Yeah, I, I think that they not only, you know, if they're healthy, then they not only have a really good offensive line, but they have some depth pieces there too because I believe I'm kind of a glass-half-full uh, glass guy on these uh, some of these younger players. Uh, I believe that Andre Diller is actually going, going to be a good player. I know he had – So do uh, I. He, he's a, he, he, I think it was a maturity issue with him that first year. You know, he, he really didn't react to being moved to the right side. Uh, he had that incident in training camp where he had the fight and he was in tears. Uh, you know, that happens with some players. I think he's going to come through it just fine because I think he's got the ability. And for that matter, I think that Jalen Rieger is going to be a really good receiver too. I think he was hurt last year by uh, two different injuries. One 
uh, right before the start of the regular season that threatened to him uh, being available for the opener. He actually ended up playing, and but then he got hurt again, and he missed time. Um, I think that his biggest problem was route running, and I, but I think he wants to be great. I know he wants to be great, and as long as he wants to be, and, and I think the Eagles can mold him into a, a really good receiver you know, down the road, at least as good as Nelson Aguilar became for them in that third year. And I don't think it'll take that long for, for Rager to be that. And, um, uh, and I don't think he'll have a regression either, like, like Aguilar did. I, I think there'll be some uh, – I think he could be better than that and will be better than that. So uh, I, 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 don't, I think that they have the, the makings of a, of a really good offense, you know, um, you know even without Zach Ertz, who's probably not going to be in the picture. Um, they still have an up-and-coming tight end to Dallas Goddard. Uh, they have, you know, really good running backs – now they brought uh, Jordan Howard back. I was really surprised about Jordan Howard last year when they brought him back and they, they only promoted him for a couple of games. And he, I thought he was just going to be in the rotation the, the whole rest of the way, but he wasn't for whatever reason. But I still think he's only 26 years old and not a bad backup, you know, for Miles Sanders and, and a pretty good system. And maybe they add to that in the draft, too. Of course, they also have Boston Scott. They have some offensive pieces, I believe, Um you know, uh, that are going to, that are going to function a lot better this year under a, a quarterback who I believe is going to have a good career too in Jalen hurts. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I, I let's not think that the Eagles are going to go f- have another four win season. I think that would be a disaster if they did, um, Nick, even if they, they hit on nobody else here on the draft. Let, let me ask you a question about a guy you mentioned and his acquisition. Jalen Rager could have a better sophomore season. I think we all agree on that. Uh, but about his selection when he was taken in the draft, uh, somebody wrote about it yesterday. I'd give them credit, and I just don't remember exactly who it was, so I apologize. Um, but it was mentioned that when that selection was made, rather than Jefferson, a lot of uh, cooks putting together the broth on that one, a lot of opinions registered including that of Lincoln Riley, the head coach of Oklahoma. That was probably me, Jody. Was it you? Could <laughs> very well have been. Yeah. Uh, and, and I trust John's sources and writings and everything, so I'm sure that that was the case, that Lincoln Riley was asked an opinion and he gave it, and it may have influenced the Eagles in selecting him. If that's accurate, if that's true, why isn't Lincoln Riley the head coach of the Eagles? If he has enough influence over Howie Roseman to have sway over their first-round draft pick, the Eagles had an opening at coach this year. They fired Doug Peterson, and it was a good couple weeks before Nick Sirianni got the job. Why couldn't Howie Roseman talk Lincoln Riley into coming and taking over the Eagles? Because I don't know about you guys, but the two weeks before they hired Sirianni, I continued to say the one guy I would like to see the Eagles hire is Lincoln Riley, the quarterback maker at Oklahoma. If there's anybody that can get Jalen Hurts to this next level, it's the guy who took him in from Alabama and made him a Heisman Trophy finalist. Why isn't Lincoln Riley the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles? That's a great question, and that's something I was thinking about, too, because wasn't he one of the first guys that they contacted? First guy. First guy they called. First guy they called. I don't think he was too interested in it. Lincoln's too smart. That's why. Yeah, he he knows the power structure. He didn't want any parts of this. So he's so much better at Oklahoma than he would be, you know, coming to the Eagles, even if it did mean a lot more money and the prestige of the NFL. Well, so what? I mean, you know, he's already making a pretty good living. It's not like he's – yeah, I I think – Look! Look at the at the uh, candidates the Eagles uh, 
you know, went after before they finally landed on Nick Sirianni. And this is no knock on Sirianni. He might turn out to be a great coach. It's kind of like Andy Reid did, but at the time nobody knew who he was. And But, I, you know, I, I, I believe Brian Dable from Buffalo didn't even interview with him. No. Just turned down an interview. I mean, that, what is that telling you? Uh, I, and he, this guy's the hottest name coming out. Of course, he didn't get a job with anybody else either. But, uh, you know, I, I just – yeah, I Lincoln Riley. Yeah, I, I think he, he he was just too smart for that. Yeah, Brandon Staley's another guy who turned down an interview. Um, Jody's guy Robert Sala did interview, but that was as pretty much as a courtesy. I think Arthur Smith was as a courtesy. I mean, people around this league, the hot candidates, saw this structure and said, "I I don't want any part of it." I'm I'm that's and Nick's right. It's not about Nick Sirianni. I mean, Andy Reid was successful. He wasn't on anybody's radar. Doug Peterson wasn't on anybody's radar. Nick Sirianni might be the next Bill Walsh, but he didn't have power like these guys had power. He wasn't a hot candidate, and that's what the Eagles were down to because of the way they handled their business. It's, is you know, and I, I think – you know, Nick knows that. I know that. And that's where we are with the Philadelphia Eagles. If yeah, that's the case, can we, if that's the case, can we then say the Eagles actually got lucky with Doug Peterson? That if he was a oh, coach, yeah. not necessarily yeah, anything he wanted, and two years in, he won the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's question. pretty lucky, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. They got lucky yeah. with Doug Peterson. They got lucky with Andy Reid. Uh, for that matter, they got lucky with Chip Kelly uh, that first year, yeah. the first two years, winning 10 games each time. Um, especially because Kelly had no NFL experience whatsoever. That, that's the part that I didn't like about it. He hadn't even been in the year, the league for like a year as an assistant coach or anything like that. And that's tough, but yeah, he absolutely lucky. And you know, the, the coaches like John was saying, you know, around the league, they, they know this and it's not just with the personnel. It's not just the, the roster and the, and the assistant coaches, and you don't even have control over the 53 man. It's play calling. I mean, everybody's all dug about play calling. He's got people talking, everybody talking at me, right? What's that, that yeah. song? Uh, you know, he's got people in his headphones, you know, with, with analytics saying we need to go for it on fourth down here. And not only do we need to go for it on fourth down, but we need to call this specific play. And, yeah, that's a tough job. And I don't think really the coaches that want to have that. Really tough job. Now, Nick, I know you're in South Carolina, right? How much golfing are we talking about? <laughs> so I'll be out there a little later today. I took a break there yesterday, but yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk with us on Birds 365. I want to get one more question in for uh, our boy, Nick, because I'm going to ask it of every guy over the next 10 days who joins us here. Um, John and I have a little debate going. He thinks that at number 12, the Eagles will stick to their historical bent when it comes to drafting in the first half of the first round. They go to the trenches, be it defensive line or offensive line. I think they're going to the outside. I think the pick will either be a wide receiver and or a cornerback. Look into that crystal ball of yours, Nick. The Eagles at number 12 select. You don't even have to give us a name. Just give us a position. Uh, Trench. De defensive end, Quiddy <laughs> Pay. Yes. Uh, for Michigan. Yes. They're, they're going to transition from one Michigan guy, Brandon Graham, to another. There we go. That's a brilliant pick. Great you minds. Guys, you, guys, you guys spend too much time in the locker room yeah. together. That's just Not sad. anymore. 
That's right. I don't remember what the locker room looks like. Yeah. And again, I don't know that I would be doing that myself. I, I, to me, I would go outside the box and look at a linebacker like Micah Parsons at Penn State, who would, to me, would be a great fit as their middle linebacker, in, in a, especially in a cover two, a guy that can run down the field and everything. Uh, but, you know, they don't value that position. I, I really can't see them making that pick. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not as big a slave to history as you guys are that believe the Eagles have to do what they've always done. But that one smacks you upside the head. They haven't taken an Eagle uh, linebacker in the first round since when? 1970 what? 79. Yeah. Yeah. Robinson. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, that, that trend is staying yeah. in place. They will not be taking a linebacker at number 12. I feel pretty confident. I'm with you guys on that one. History will repeat itself. The Eagles will not be taking a linebacker in the first well, round this year. Well, how quickly we forget Marcus Smith, but he was a linebacker. Well, he was more of an edge guy, yeah. He was but more yeah, but he, and even Jerry Robinson but back in, in 79, they were still playing a 3-4 then. Yeah. But the last time they actually drafted a linebacker in the first round for a 4-3 defense, you have to go back to, I think, 1970. Oh. Zabel. Steve Zabel. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we're talking. Now, ancient. there's some good knowledge right there from <laughs> Nick Sierra. And Steve Zabel did such a great job uh, running NFL films for yeah. all those years. <laughs> thereafter. Yeah, Just outstanding. Right. It might Nick. as well, but yeah. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, great stuff. Uh, hit him long and strong today. If you get out there on the course, you did so with us. Thank you much for hopping aboard. Oh, we'll be calling back and we'll be zooming you into our lives. That's oh, great. It was a great time. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Nick Fierro, uh from the Allentown Morning Call, uh, doing a good job, except for the fact that he agrees with McMullen that the wow. Eagles are going now, now, into. And, and by the way, Nick brings up a good point, Jody. It's not a matter of what I think the Eagles should do. Right. It no, is no. history. It is what I, I mean, I know this team. That's what they typically do. Now, can they throw a curveball? Anybody can throw a curveball. Maybe they wake up and say, these are these guys aren't good enough. These players are better, but that's just not their history. That's just not what they believe in. So in other words, I'm an optimist because I believe they will break their trends and actually make the right pick, the correct pick, what they need to do. You, on the other hand, believe that history will repeat itself and they'll do what they always do, which would be a mistake, which would be overdrafting a uh, pay. Well, two things, Jody. I think it's, it's in general, in a vacuum, it's correct. I think offense and defensive line, other than quarterback, that's where you build a football team. Where, where the problem comes in, the difficulty comes in, this isn't a great year, especially on the defensive line at the top of the draft, at the top of the draft. There's some good guys, some good value a little bit later. Offensive linemen, there's good players, but, you know, Sewell's going to be gone. Slater most likely is going to be gone. Vera Tucker, is he worthy of being number 12 overall? Plus, the strength of their team is already the offensive line. So those are the outliers that maybe move you in a different direction, but – this team correctly believes that's where you build. The issue is, you know, in a, in a certain year, and obviously we're in, we're in 2021, is it the right decision in 2021? I probably agree with you. It's probably not. But that's what I, I the, they have a tough time getting away from what they believe. We'll talk about that. All right. We've got to uh, get a quick time out here at the top of the hour. And then uh, John Clark's going to join us about less than 25 minutes from now uh, with his new podcast on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Mr. Take off with Mr. John Clark. 
airport himself. Take it off with John Clark. He's going to take off with us. I want to further this conversation with John when we come back about how you make that decision. When you are on the clock, the Eagles will be there. We assume at number 12, is there a possibility they trade up? Yes. Is there a possibility they trade back? Yes. But for the sake of today's conversation, I want to talk about if they just stay at 12, how they make that decision it, not in the vacuum, in the reality of 2021, how I think the team should do it. We'll get John's opinion on how they should do it as well. Uh, coming back right here on Birds 365, McDonald and McMullen with you. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. <laughs> we need a little maze. Wait, wait, yeah. what was the commercial? Yeah, Harry goes, I don't need a little anything. You'd have Lil Harry or Lil Maze. Lil Maze. And, and you pull a <laughs> string and it yeah. says, I am out. Or sort of like four or five different maze sayings. Now that's an idea. <laughs> Did you see a Shander doll? It oh, never yeah. stops talking. No, oh, you don't even God. need to pull the string. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Maze. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Football Friday edition of Birds 365 here on the uh, Jacob Media YouTube channel. If you used phillyvoice.com to link into the show, thank you much for that. Thanks to our streamers hitting us up on the feed. He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. We've still got, uh, oh, an hour to go with you guys, including a chance to have a conversation with John Clark of NBC Sports uh, coming up in just a couple. Do want to... Narrow down some things we were talking about last hour, John, about the Eagles' upcoming pick at number 12. If they stay at 12, they're going to make a selection. You're thinking that they will stick to their operation manual that they've used for years. When you have a high enough pick, 
You need to stay inside the ball. You need to stay in the trenches. You need to go quarterback. We all believe they're not going quarterback, that they're not going to go outside to wide receivers and or cornerbacks. I see the biggest need being cornerback on this team as of right now. And I see potential value of where guys sit on the board. If we've got them right reading, it's all speculation on who we're going to go during the first 11 picks. I think there's chance. There's a very good chance that a player at one of those two positions is going to be there, be available, should be high on the Eagles board so that they take them. I'm looking forward to having uh, your guest on next week. Uh, the former scout, who put together, was there in draft rooms and was a process of putting together draft boards. My belief always is that you should not sway much from your draft board, that, that there needs to be some flexibility there, but not a ton of flexibility that you're just drafting for need. That's when you quote unquote reach. And when you reach, chances are you're not going to take the best player for your team. You're going to end up paying a price for it down the road. I say a slot or two. If you've got a guy who's within a slot or two of your top name on the board and he's a better positional fit, then that's not a reach for me. I guarantee you that there will be a wide receiver and or a cornerback who is in within a slot or two of the top of the Eagles board, unless they're just so married to this that they're overrating offensive linemen and defensive linemen in putting their board together knowing that they have to then pick someone in that position. Well, as I said, we'll get somebody who's done it for a living, been part of an organization, put together a draft board. My take is that you never get more than a, a pick or two, a spot or two away from your overall draft board when you make the pick. Do you think that the Eagles will forego something like that and not worry about it? and take someone just because of positional? Or do you think they're the kind of organization that stays true to their draft board? Well, no, on the second part, at times. And I'll give you an example of that. But we are going to have Blake Bettingfield on, I think, Tuesday of next week. And I'm pretty excited about that because he was the director of college scouting for the the Titans for almost two decades. So, you're right. He knows how boards are put together. He knows um, how they're structured and, and how things like that happen. But if you want to go back to Eagles specific, let's go back to the Jalen Hurts pick at number 53 overall. How it was told to me and other reporters have reported the same thing that if we're up to the scouting staff, Jeremy Chin would have been the pick at number 53 overall. And the staff, that the personnel guys, were arguing between Jeremy Chin and J.K. Dobbins, who's the running back for the, the Baltimore Ravens, who was, I think, picked 55. So it was picked really close. So you could see they had a, a good sort of theory on the board at the particular time. And then all of a sudden, Jeffrey Lurie comes in, puts his thumb on the scale. Jalen Hurts has filled up Eagle. The rest is history. Now, Jody, maybe that works out. The value of that position is even higher than the value of offensive defensive linemen. So the, the story is still to be told there. But what I will say is that these arguments, these discussions, whatever you want to call them, shouldn't be happening on draft day. The plan should already be laid out. The contingency should be there. Everybody should be on the same page on draft night. 
That's my concern with the Philadelphia Eagles, and that's the dysfunction people have been talking about. All right, I'm going to give you a hypothetical, and I'm absolutely admitting that it is a hypothetical. I have no idea if this is how it's going to shake out, but for for uh, debate and conversational sake, let's believe that this is the case. Let's say when the Eagles come up at number 12 um, that – J.C. Horn is available. Patrick Sertain <clears throat> has been picked off the board. But the second-best quarterback, at least in most people's evaluations, is sitting there. That Elijah Vera Tucker, the offensive lineman from USC, is also still available. And whoever you think, I'll give you anyone on the defensive line. I do not believe there will be a defensive lineman taken in the first 11 picks in the draft. So you can take any defensive lineman if you want to take a different offensive lineman other than uh, Penny Sewell and or Slater, go ahead and tell me you'd rather have that guy. If all of those guys are available, you think the Eagles are going to take either an offensive lineman or a defensive well, lineman well, over a guy like J.C. Horn? Well, if, first of all, if Sewell or Slater are available, and I don't think there's any way they will right. be, that's the pick. That's uh, And that's not a need pick, obviously, but those guys are too good. That's, I mean, they're taking them, but I don't think they'll be there. If, if what you're saying is the decision is between J.C. Horn, even throwing the Alabama receivers, if one of the two is there, uh, Smith or Waddle, and then you start talking about Quiddy Pay, you know, there's late buzz around Christian Barmore, which would drive the Eagles fans insane at defensive tackle. Uh, but nonetheless, I take door number C, Jody. Why not trade down again a couple spots where there's more value for a Quiddy Pay or a Christian Barmore? Add some more assets, maybe move up the board later to get a Rashad Bateman at receiver late in the first round. You could do it that way. Right, so, well, but that's that's so hard to project. No, and well, he, yeah. In, in a I'm perfect saying, world, I'd be able to tell you the perfect pick for me is going to be number twenty-seven. That's why I want to select at the twenty-seven pick in the first round, and I want to add additional draft capital in two first rounders, the second rounder, the fourth rounder, spread out over twenty twenty-one, twenty twenty-two, twenty twenty-three. That's it's, not realistic. It's well, it is realistic. The realistic part is. Matching up – no, I'm not telling you they're going to trade a fourth-round pick and a third-round pick and move back up. I'm saying – all I'm saying is <clears throat> you're trying to match up value with what you believe in. Sure. So if you don't think pay is as valuable at 12 or you think you can get them later, well, maybe you try to do that. That's all I'm saying. Instead of taking a player at a position you don't value as much. I completely understand it. You're a smart, you'd make a damn good general manager, as a matter of fact, John McMullen. But the problem with that is if, if you like a guy like Pay, we, we'll use him as an example. Or you could just take him because you like him. Right. But you don't actually believe he's good value at 12. Well, where would he be good value? Well, Number 17. Yeah. Can you get to 17? The problem with that is. It takes you two have to, to have tango. Somebody, yeah, exactly. Right. The, the team at 17 must that, whoa, well, yeah, we'd actually like to move up to 12. And then you got to agree on how much value it is for those five slots. That's pretty damn difficult to do. It's it's not easy, but it's it's 
overly optimistic to believe that you can get exactly the player at exactly the draft slot you want. Sometimes it does work out that way. And I'll give Howie this much. I think he's been above average, not well above average, but above average at being able to be Monty Hall on draft day, leading up to draft day, be able to make trades, give up uh, draft capital, take back in extra draft capital when he drops down. I think Howie's been pretty good at that. You have to be a magician to get exactly the guy you want at exactly the slot where the <coughs> no, draft value matches up. Hey, I'm not arguing with you there. I, I say all the time, I say fans, you know, say just trade up. Well, A, as you said, you need two to tango. Yep. Uh, sometimes you can't, and sometimes you have to stay there, and you have to make a decision because you don't have a trading partner. And, and that's going to be interesting because – you know, most boards in this league would have J.C. Horn over quitting pay. So, you know, that's a difficult Mine. decision. Yeah, most. But then the other stuff comes into it. Now, the Eagles have a need position. I hear they like J.C. Horn. So maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe they say they like the player. We need an outside corner. Maybe we go, we buck against the trend. Maybe they take the kid. Um, I've also seen some recent mock drafts from plugged-in guys that say Sertan and Horn won't be there. And in that instance, both of them will be off the board. They're not going to take Caleb Farley because of the back issues. Um, then what do you do? All these contingencies, and that's my point, Jody. These You have to work out all of these sort of paths and avenues before the draft. But it's pretty clear the Eagles haven't been doing that, at least at times at the top of the draft. If both of the corners are gone, then I'm pretty darn sure that one of the two Alabama wide receivers yes. will be available because there are only 11 picks that are going to come off the board before the Eagles pick. And if two of them are cornerbacks, then I doubt three of them are going to be wide receivers. So uh, there will be a position where I think they could still use more of an upgrade and an upgrade at a positional value, at least my rankings of the players at the draft to be able to take that guy, then reaching for a quitty pay because he's a defensive lineman and history dictates that the Philadelphia Eagles have to take defensive well, linemen. I, I do in the think we're, I do think we're kind of, we're kind of uh, downplaying quitty pay. I mean, he is a big-time prospect. He is top 20 on most people's boards. Some people, because of the position he plays will push him up the board because he mentioned this is not a year where there's a Miles Garrett or a Jadavian Clowney, but that's a position, not just the Eagles, but this entire league values. What I mentioned Christian Barmore at defensive tackle. Now people are starting to talk about him moving up the board pretty quickly because he's the only interior defensive lineman so if you need one you better get them because there's a big drop off between one and two all these things come into play i do think people are acting like quitty pay is just garbage i mean he's he's a good prospect he's not miles garrett but he's a good good player and i i think ultimately like brandon graham look there's a lot of revisionist history jody you know you've been around for a long time. Who went right after Brandon Graham? Earl Thomas, Jason right. Pierre-Paul. 
The fan base was upset. Brandon Graham outlasted both of them uh, with their original teams. And as an Eagles legend, being an Eagles Hall of Famer, made the biggest play in franchise history. Sometimes what looks good on draft night, probably the best indication is Ricky Williams uh, versus Donovan McNabb. Sometimes it looks bad. The fans think it's bad. Sometimes it's anything but bad. Understood. And you got to have, and uh, as you say, I've been around for a while and I've been dealing with fans on phones for 30 plus years. <laughs> Everyone wants to make a definitive decision two minutes after the card is handed oh, in. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, what a great pick. Oh my God. What a God awful pick. How the hell could they do something like that? And you and I both know that sometimes it takes a year or two or four or six, or in the case of Brandon Graham, eight or nine down the road before you go, hold on, let's revisit this. Let's take a look at this again. And you're right. Brandon Graham has held up his end of the bargain. Although many people on draft night thought it was a great pick. Many people when uh, the Seattle DB uh, led the Seahawks to a Super Bowl victory, Earl Thomas uh, said, and we took Brandon Graham. Well, but as long as they're both continuing to play, the evaluation continues as well. And Brandon Graham has absolutely swung the pendulum. So even though, yes, on the day after the well, uh, draft, on the Monday after, back. you and I will be on here analyzing, overanalyzing the Eagles picks, oh, their yeah. draft, and everything else. But we will, we're smart enough to put out the codicil that we'll continue to revisit this over the next however many years is necessary to give a definitive grade to a draft pick. Well, and one thing I've already said on this show, Jody, is that the job doesn't end when you hand into that that card. I think too many fans assume, oh, you got a good player or a bad player. And player development is a big part of this. And one of the things I think you could be, you could validly criticize Doug Peterson and staff for was player development. I don't think it was great. I often go back to 1999 and I think to myself, you know, what if Tim Couch or Achilles Smith, what if they ended up with Andy Reid and Donovan McNabb went to a another organization with uh, a crappy coaching situation. How do things shake out? Scheme matters. Organization matters. Coaching matters. A lot of things play into it. Let me ask you one quick thing. And we got John Clark joining us in about uh, five minutes of show. So here on Birds 365. Um, I did see this got a lot of burn yesterday. Social media, a couple of columns on Twitter and the like. A lot of people responding about the evaluation of the Carson Wentz trade. Not the trade to the Indianapolis Colts, but the trade that landed Carson Wentz here in Philadelphia five years ago when Howie Roseman positioned and aggressively got to a point where he got to number two in the draft and took Carson Wentz. Well, the Carson Wentz era we know is now over. The Eagles will get to cash in those draft picks, one this year, one next year. We know it could be a two, could be a one. So the evaluation will even continue after Carson Wentz is left. But we know what Carson Wentz, what the Eagles did during the five years that Carson Wentz was here. Some arguments are made that it was a bad deal. Some arguments made that, hey, Super Bowl is a Super Bowl. And Carson Wentz was a major contributor to that, even though he didn't play in the actual game itself. Uh, it's a good, fun debate and a good argument to have. Are you definitive one way or the other, whether the Carson oh, Wentz uh, trade was uh, good uh, or bad? Yes, it was a good trade for the Philadelphia Eagles. 1960, Jody, 
They had never won it. There's a Lombardi trophy uh, in the Novacare complex. They were 11 and 2. Carson Wentz was going to be the MVP. For that year alone, getting him, him helping this team get in a position to make a run in the playoffs and win a Super Bowl. That's it. It's over. And by the way, Jared Goff was a good pick for the Rams as well. If you look at how many games they won, they reached the Super Bowl. Did it work out as long as you hoped for? No. But overall, they got a Lombardi trophy. That's it. There's one. That's a successful trade. You would make that trade again and again and again. And I'm happy the smart fans came to the defense. And and most Eagles fans are smart fans, and they came to the defense of that trade as they should have. I agree that it was a winner, that you got to do it again, that when you come down to the bottom line, thumbs up, thumbs down, it's got to be a thumbs up. It's just that it's not a prolific thumbs up because of not the way that, the things ended. Yeah. But that's, hey, that's how things happen. Injuries, if the injuries didn't happen, we'd probably have a different conversation right now. The shelf life wasn't as long as you would have liked, no question. It ended badly, but that doesn't change the fact that they got where everybody wanted them to get. Finally. It's success. Correct. Correct. He is John McMahon. I am Jody McDonald. We're going to add another J to the mix. Johnny Happy going to join us next. Johnny Sunshine. John Clark of NBC Sports is going to jump aboard. Birds 365. Stick around. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation. And we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. The middle. So, bro, I know we're going to get on that, but I, I, I got to say happy birthdays to the, to the kids in the stream. You know what I'm saying? We, we looking. We checking it out. Happy birthday to your, your kids, man. You know what I'm to saying? To who? The kids, man. I'm watching the stream, man. What stream? It's double birthdays. You got to keep your eyes yeah, off that stream. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, you have a conversation with the stream, and nobody has any idea what you're talking about. You got to give us a heads up. Get you hip to it. Because they get you hip to it. No, no, no. We I have no idea what you're talking bro. about. So now we're in the middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Happy right. birthday. Happy birthday yeah. to who? I have no idea what was, I, what's going on right now. I, I can just imagine people listening on Sports Map Radio just like, what did he just say? Who's Play talking action to? real. Play action real. His son, Nick. Happy birthday, bro. And All then, right. Now, now everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, 16 today. Yeah. I mean, calling BS today. Seriously. This is like A.C. Green selling that he right. was a virgin back with Showtime. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers. 
We are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds. And planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming. It's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. D-A-T-L-E-N-E-O! Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. A football Friday edition of Birds 365. Johnny Mac, Jody Mac, Mac and Mac guys here with you. We're very grateful to have our next guest joining us. Uh, he is Johnny Sunshine, John Clark from NBC Sports Channel 10, NBC Sports Philly, and his podcast, The Takeoff Podcast. Johnny Clark, how are you? Good morning. Just like you guys, we have a lot of job titles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to thank you. You had a late night, John. So thanks for for hopping on the program, but I do want you want to mention your new podcast take off. You can sc- subscribe at NBC sports world help you. And obviously your first one, the, the biggest gets Doug Peterson, obviously in lieu of, of getting fired and all the issues with Jeffrey Lurie. So you got to talk with Doug down from South, uh, South Florida, Josh Peterson, his son uh, in the mix to be drafted this year as a tight end. Uh, what were your takeaways? You know, did you see the weight lifted off the shoulders of Doug Peterson? Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, I saw a tan face, uh, <laughs> rejuvenated, refreshed. I joked with him. I said it looks like when a president leaves office after four years. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I do think he is in a really good place. Um, and, look, he wants to get back and be a head coach next year, but he is glad to take a year off at this point, rejuvenate, be with his family, and he's really pushing – for his son, Josh, to be drafted. But it was good to catch up with Doug. And then, look, I see both sides of it. Um, Doug did want a chance to come back and get this team right. But uh, Eagles ownership, uh, you know, maybe wanted some younger, uh, fresh ideas uh, with the coaching staff. And Doug was loyal to his coaching staff. And they just disagreed on how they were going to move forward. So I do see both sides to this. Um but yes, Doug is in a great place. He's golfing every day. So eventually someday we may see him on the senior tour. Darryl, we'll certainly look forward to that. And you're allowed to wear visors when you golf. So that's a natural for Doug. And I know he came in gray, but I think you're right about uh, president after four years in office. They always leave at least a little bit grayer. And that might have been the case with Doug as well. Um, is he going to do anything this year other than golf and watch his son and root for his son? Because there were some rumors about him uh, being talked to to potentially go and be an offensive coordinator. He was tied to Seattle, at least in conversation. Is he going to do anything football-related this year before he hopes to get back on that coaching carousel next year? You know, I think there's two kinds of guys in, in professional football. There's like the Andy Reeds and the Chip Kellys where they are just absolutely addicted to it and they need it. I mean, Andy had a lot of personal issues and yet he still jumped into another job immediately, less than a week after he was fired by the Eagles. I don't think Doug is that type of guy. I do think 
he needs a year off. I mean, this was probably his hardest year uh, in his professional football career, getting COVID um, and just everything collapsing with this Eagles team this year. So I think unless it was a head coaching job and he was thrown into the pool late because it was after everybody else was let go, I think unless it was a head coaching job, he was going to take a year off and just recharge and be with his family. Um, and it's good to see. And I just want to say one quick thing. I really enjoy uh, reading all of your inside football stuff, John and Jody. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you two quick questions. <laughs> when I was a little kid, I remember being down the shore and I would always listen to your wrestling show at like three in the morning <laughs> on a radio station in New York. Correct. We couldn't hear it inside the shore house down in Seattle city. So I had to go sit out in a car when I was a teenager at three in the morning to listen to your wrestling radio show. So props to you. And one more thing. Uh, when, when my buddy and I, Mark Stern, when I was finishing up high school, we had a wrestling convention near the airport and you were the MC. Oh yeah. And there was a wrestler who kept unplugging your microphone while you were trying to talk to the crowd and all the wrestling fans. Do you remember who that was? Believe it was Sid Vicious. Was it not? Oh, Sid Vicious. Good night. You know, you know, John, I told Jody that you used to publish the Wrestling Flyer newsletter. And I said, I said, John was getting interviews with big time wrestlers when nobody was getting interviews. I mean, maybe Wade Keller for people who know wrestling. Other than that, it was John. And I think you were in high school, if I'm correct. Yes, I was. And, you know, one of the things is I, I think that had to be valuable for you. In a, in a way, to get started that early for your career and what you've made it into. And obviously, NBC Sports Philadelphia, everybody knows John Clark in Philadelphia. In a serious note to, to pro wrestling, how much did that help you in your journey to being a sports broadcaster? You know what? That's a great point uh, immensely because I, I learned I learned from that that for somebody else to do an interview or somebody to do something – they have to get something out of it, just like we're trying to get content. We're all trying to get something out of it. And never go in with an interview subject and not be honest with them about what you're trying to get. Um, and so, you know, everything in life is a transaction. And uh, it's all about relationships. So they need to be able to get something out of it, as do I. And I've always learned from that experience to treat them with respect and honesty and don't come at them sideways trying to get an interview by saying, oh, well, it'll do this for you or we're trying to get this. Be honest and upfront about your approach um, and then, you know, respect people as human beings. But trust is everything. And I, I remember those interviews. I guess they eventually became known as shoot interviews. Um, I remember being on the phone with Kerry Von Erich and he dropped his phone in the toilet <laughs> in the interview um, and uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper talking about being homeless as a kid and getting food out of dumpsters. I mean, it was amazing because the stories behind all these wrestlers, it's mind boggling. It'd be the greatest 30 for 30 documentary of all time. The only other guy who back in the day, yes, it was a long time ago when I had my wrestling segment on WFAN in New York, uh, was Dave Meltzer of the uh, Wrestling Observer, um, who came on my, our show several times as a guest. He had connection enough to get uh, wrestling guests as well. Maybe not as good as Johnny Clark, oh, no. but he did get wrestling guests no. as well. Dave Meltzer is the, the GOAT. Yeah, he's the GOAT, but he's more of a reporter. John was getting these interviews when nobody was getting interviews, Dave doesn't really do, you know, interviews and in his reporting. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I thought it was amazing at the time, 
I was like, who's this kid from Philadelphia getting all these interviews with big time wrestlers? So I remember I remember Bill Watts one time I was interviewing him and I was on the phone with him at five o'clock and he tells me, Now hell's bells, kid. You can't you can't put this out there. You can't say anything, but we're gonna take the belt off of Ron Simmons tonight in Baltimore. <laughs> like, what? Now, good thing there wasn't Twitter back then, because I would have been <laughs> I would have been easy to put that out there. Yeah, and also right. our buddy Adam Kaplan is also yep. should be in this conversation as well because yeah. he's a wrestling guy. Yeah, well, we, we got a lot of good wrestling guys, uh, but we'll bring it back to the Eagles for a couple of minutes. All right, Johnny Clark, this is an ongoing competition between myself and my partner here on what the Eagles are going to do at number 12. Assuming they stay at 12, are they going to take an interior player or an outside player? Outside being cornerback or wide receiver basically interior being anything else. I'll give you safety. I'll give you a linebacker. I'll let those be interiors. Are they going to take an inside guy or an outside guy if they stay at number 12? I'll tell you, guys, um, I think anything can happen in this draft. I think if a guy that Howie and the Eagles want is there at 9, 10, something like that, I think they've got the ammunition. They've got the most picks in the draft. I think they've got the ammunition to move up. So, really, I think there's like a better than 50% chance of that happening. Um, But I think – see, this is what's crazy because in the back of my mind I'm saying they know that these championships are won starting with the offensive line and defensive line. I think if there's an edge rusher there that they really, really like, uh, I think they could do that. yeah, and you, you put me on the spot. I really, th- I really think that this could go anyway. But I will say, I'm, I think they go with cornerback, and I think you could see Patrick Sertan as an Eagle. I love Dan- Daniel Jeremiah's pick, and I think the Eagles could move up to take him from the Cowboys. Well, you bring up Daniel Jeremiah. He was your latest guest on the podcast, Take Off with John Clark, and obviously Daniel used to be a scout here with the Eagles. I know you asked him about. Jeffrey Lurie's influence, John. You saw all the reports coming out from the athletic guys this week about Jeffrey's imprint on this organization. Daniel kind of told you it hasn't changed that much. Is that correct? Yeah, and look, maybe maybe Daniel right now doesn't know if Jeffrey Lurie, according to the reports, is saying, hey, this has to be Jalen Hurts' year. We need to build around him. He needs to be the guy. So maybe he doesn't know that. But he described how – Back when he was a scout with the Eagles, Jeff Lurie would review the video, the tape. He would have his binder there with all of the information about all of the draft picks. And he wasn't deciding who would be drafted, but he was asking challenging questions of everybody. Why are you deciding on this guy? Why not go with this guy? And so he said that is a very important thing to challenge all of the decision makers and understand the why of their thinking. So Daniel described it as a good thing, and he didn't see it as meddling, but he can't speak to right now. Don't know if things have changed maybe since the Super Bowl or since the Chip Kelly experience. With the fact that this is a brand-new coaching staff, all the drafts that have gone on during Jeff Lurie's era here in Philadelphia, Andy Reid for so many years, Chip Kelly into Doug Peterson, the coaching staff has had varying influences on each and every single draft. I'm sure Andy Reid's grew over time. Chip Kelly was able to get to a point where he could push Howie Roseman to the side. And Doug Peterson, although don't know that he had enough say over his own coaching staff, I do think he was listened to on draft night. 
Does Nick Sirianni have any pull coming into this draft as a new Philadelphia Eagle, as a new head coach? Do he and his staff move the needle at all on any three of the draft nights this year? It's a very good question. And I, I mean, I do think, you know, Jonathan Gannon, new defensive coordinator, you've got all these coaches trying to get guys for them. So I think Howie satisfied his need for a linebacker uh, with the signing of Eric Wilson. So I think, I think, you know, obviously they all have influence. Um, it's interesting you ask that because I think right now, Howie Roseman, there's so many voices. I think Howie Roseman and Andy Weidel need to listen to what they believe is best. And I think every team says they're going to draft the best player, right? Well, you go back last year. And Jalen Rager has a skill set, the speed that is good on the outside, right? And I remember interviewing Howie after the draft, and he said, look, Andy Reid and our coaches all talk about for the West Coast offense to open it up for the tight ends in the middle, the running back passes, you need speed on the outside. So maybe they did not go with the best player because of a certain need or a want of the coaching staff and how he probably liked Jalen Rager as well. But I think you have to go with the best player. Um, you know, if Justin Jefferson, I mean, he had the production, if he's the best player, go with him. It looks like they were trying to satisfy the want and the desire of what the offense needed. So I think in this case, go with the best player, find a way to make it work. And I think, I think ultimately Howie and Andy Weidel will have the most influence. Maybe Nick Sirianni has a little bit, but he is new. Um, and I think Howie and Andy Weidel have to go with the best player and not necessarily listening to other voices. Well, John, let's circle back to your Doug uh, Peterson interview because you mentioned you saw both sides. One side is that draft and how many cooks there are in the kitchen. And one name you didn't mention was Alec Calabi, who's the vice president of strategy and sort of the analytics guy. So when you have all these people chiming in, does it make you more susceptible to that type of mistake when you say, oh, you know, Justin Jefferson, probably the better football player, but we need a manufactured touch guy or we need a speed guy. Do you think that creates more issues than there need to be? I think you have hit uh, to the biggest point here, and I think this is going on in all of sports. There was forever the old school um, eye test. I know, Jody, your dad was a scout. The guys who went on the road and saw these players in person, traveled to see them, and got to see them interact with all of their teammates, all the things that scouts do. And then along came analytics. And I got to be honest with you, I mean, I've seen it with the Sixers. The Sixers made a lot of mistakes over the last few years because of analytics. Al Horford may be one of them if you, if you talk to certain people, and certain decisions were made about analytics. And Daryl Morey comes in. He is the king of analytics. I mean, he maybe brought analytics to the NBA, Sam Hinkie as well. The Phillies, right? John Middleton, I remember asking him about analytics, and he said, listen, I'm the one driving the bus with analytics in the Phillies organization, and they hired – you know, a, a complete overhaul of the staff with tons of analytics people. So, so I absolutely do think that analytics, Jeffrey Laurie's a big believer in it. And you mentioned Alex and a couple of the other people. So if those people do have heavy influence, I can see friction between the football department and all the scouts who spend all the time going out and researching and looking at them and analytics people who mostly are going by numbers 
and information on a page or a spreadsheet. So I think that is happening across all of sports now. I don't want to say a division, but there is kind of a conflict sometimes of analytics versus football people. And my heart tells me that you should listen to your football people and your scouts uh, because they're the ones, because you got to see inside a guy's heart as well. And you yeah. got to see, is he obsessed and addicted to football and wanting to be the best? So I think that's a great point, and it is happening everywhere. Johnny, let's talk about the most important position on a football team. And Jeff Boyer <laughs> will tell you it's owner. Uh, Howie Roseman will tell you it's general manager. And Nick Sirianni might tell you it's coach. It's quarterback. Uh, you can live and die with quarterback play, and the guy who's getting the ball snapped to him, 50% of your plays every single year. Uh, I know you have to have all those other things and everyone has to do their job and or uh, put forth the money to be able to do their job. But a lot of times it comes down to quarterback. There's a reason why Tom Brady keeps winning Super Bowl after Super Bowl and Rodgers has the package as far in the playoffs every year as he does. It's about quarterbacks. The Eagles have a quarterback for 2021. At least we all believe so. And it's Jalen Hurts. And they've committed to him for one whole year. Now, if this is Carson Wentz we were still talking about, we'd have issues because Carson Wentz couldn't handle it when anyone was looking over his shoulder. And if it wasn't 100% Carson Wentz, as far as we can report and tell, they said this is Jalen Hurts' year. 2022, get back to us in 12 months. We'll tell you where we're at about him <laughs> being our future quarterback. Is this young man going to be able to step up, strive, and accomplish what he needs to to become, quote-unquote, the future quarterback of the Eagles under the rules, the guidelines, the uh, labels that they're setting for him for this upcoming season, in your opinion? Well, i tell you what. For Philadelphia, Eagles fans, I mean, that would be the perfect scenario. If Jalen Hurts, and this is like, I don't want to say it's a one-year audition, but he has a chance this year to prove that he can be the guy – if he can improve on some of the things that he needs to work on and be the quarterback, that would be the best case scenario for this organization because then you have three possible three first-round draft picks next year that you could spend on talent around him. Obviously, if he doesn't work out, they've got those three first-round picks to either trade for a quarterback or draft a quarterback. But um, Jalen Hurts, I think he has qualities to be a starter in the NFL, um, but I think he's got to work on some things. I think that he can take all of this and the competition if another quarterback comes in because of his college experience. He wasn't handed everything along the way. He had stuff taken away from him. And obviously he has competed. Um, and, and look, he, he improved as a passer at Oklahoma last year. Um, you know, I think a couple of times I saw him maybe on the run and he had an open skill player in the end zone and wasn't able to get the ball to that skill player. I need to see uh, an improvement with that, and accuracy is going to be his biggest thing. But let's not forget last year that, you know, there's no offseason with mini camps and all that. So he jumps into training camp, and Carson Wentz is going to get all the reps pretty much during the season. So he was thrown in there. And I think all of last year, Doug Peterson, because the offensive line was so wrecked, historically wrecked, um, he had to kind of dial things back for the offense because you also had some young players like Jalen Rager who's trying to learn, uh, you know, different positions. You don't want him to have to learn all three positions, boom, right away. So I think, I think 
it was not the best situation for Jalen Hurts to be thrown into. I think this offseason, him getting a chance to be with all of the younger skilled players, I think is going to be huge for him. I can't tell you if he's going to be the guy, but I think he's got qualities and he definitely has the leadership qualities and the young players gravitate to him where I think if he can improve his accuracy, improve as a passer, I think he's got a chance. And that would be a fantastic for the Eagles if he can be the guy. John, I agree with you. That's the best case scenario because you would have a young quarterback on a cost-effective rookie deal. You can build the rest of your roster. But if you look at this opportunity, and you know it goes through every sport. You cover the Sixers. You had Daryl Morey on your podcast. You covered the Phillies. You had Bryce Harper on. So the old adage is don't, don't listen to what a team says. You know, Watch what they do. When I watched what the Eagles do, they had a lot of interest in Zach Wilson. There was a firewall. They said they couldn't get him. They moved back. You know, I always say Russell Wilson is the white whale of this team. They never stopped talking about potentially getting him in 2012. He might be available next offseason when they're flush with money and they have those three first-round picks. Deshaun Watson, maybe the allegations clear up. They've had significant interest in Deshaun Watson. Even Aaron Rodgers, if he doesn't get the Jeopardy gig. <laughs> you know, how big is this opportunity for real for Jalen Hurts? Or are the Eagles really thinking about, all right, let's get through 2021, and 2022 is when we really hit it? Well, look, I, I, I definitely think that's the case. I mean, we're not talking about a guy who was drafted in the top five picks like Carson Wentz was. So Jalen Hurts is a second-round pick. Um, and the Eagles really like him. Now, when they drafted him, they thought he could be a cost-effective backup quarterback for the next five years with a chance to be a starter in the NFL, and I think that's exactly what their position is now. He's got a chance, but if they're, if they're 100% all in on him, I agree with what Daniel Jeremiah told me. They, they make that pick at six, and they get a Kyle Pitts or a Jamar Chase. So I think I think they are telling you, we don't know. And we're leaving all of our options open, which I think right now is the best play because um, Jalen Hurts, you know, he's got starter, he's got starter traits. He, he's got some things he can uh, work on to, to be a starter, but we don't know. We have no idea. Um, so I, I agree with you. I really think the Russell Wilson situation is – really serious. I think these tea leaves are all showing you that Russell Wilson eventually uh, is, is, is maybe asking out now. Who knows? But he eventually is going to ask out. Those things are not leaked out or sent out unless it's a plan to get out of Seattle. Um, and I actually thought about Aaron Rodgers the other day because does he have any guaranteed money after this season? I read somewhere that I mean, I could be wrong, but I think there's an issue with guaranteed money, and I think he wants a new contract. You either yeah, he does. They yeah. they restructured it, but next year they'd have a really easy time moving on. So people are assuming, you know, Jordan Love they have in, as the heir apparent. So yeah. 2022, Aaron Rodgers is probably going to be elsewhere. And, and, John, you said it. After this season, look, I just consider this season finding out if Jalen Hurts is the guy. After this season – you have three possible first-round draft picks, and I believe what they have a total of nine total picks next year. 
So 20 picks over these next two years, and you're going to have your salary cap worked out and you're going to have a lot of space to go after it. So look, I think this is going to be a down year, a bad year, rebuild this organization. And next year you're going to have a shot at these quarterbacks, whoever is available. I mean, Aaron Rodgers would be tremendous. Russell Wilson. I do think they, they've loved Russell Wilson uh, since they missed out on him. Um, but as I said, best case scenario is Jalen Hurts surprises us or shows us that he can be a starter. And then you've got all this capital uh, to, to be able to go out and surround him with talent. By the way, if Aaron Rodgers gets the Jeopardy gig, I want him anyway. You got three guys <laughs> right here who do multiple gigs. So I have faith that Aaron Rodgers could do multiple gigs. That's why they have off seasons. Forget Nobody's showing up for off-season workouts anyway. So Aaron Rodgers could go and take Jeopardy. It wouldn't be a problem as long as he came back to the Eagles in the fall. I right, uh, Speaking of quarterback, we're talking about all these possibilities. What round will the Eagles draft a quarterback in the upcoming draft? So much was made of how dare they use the second round pick on Jalen Hurts last year after turning everything over to Carson Wentz. We don't think it's going to be the first round. Could it be as early as the second? Is it going to be the third round? Is it going to be a sixth round that we're going to over-evaluate? When do you think Howie Roseman pulls the trigger on a quarterback draftee who will be number three in that room behind Jalen Hurts and Joe Flacco this season. I'm going third day. Day three. All right. Third day. Um, and look, you know, I think I think the Eagles get beat up about this with the quarterback thing. But, but man, I mean, it, it can't be overstated enough that look at the movement in the NFL with these quarterbacks over the last, let's say, three, four years. I mean, all of the top three quarterbacks that were picked are on other teams now. You know, you even go back to Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston. I mean, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, all these guys, they're on different teams now. You look at the NFL now, I think Jared Goff is a decent quarterback. Every team is looking to upgrade. And if they see somebody they can go get at the quarterback position, they are doing it. And, and, and they are eating all of this salary cap space. I mean, it's really unbelievable. And so – if you have a chance at any time to get a quarterback that is better than the one you have, the Eagles are going to do that. And I remember people beating them up for signing Sam Bradford and then finding a way to get from 13 to two to draft Carson Wentz. Why? Because they know they needed a quarterback. All right, let's get Sam Bradford signed. They didn't know they could move up from 13 to two. That was miraculous. Mm -hmm. And so no matter what, you're always going to try to go out and find a guy that you think can be your franchise quarterback. So um, I definitely think they will draft a young quarterback and I, I would go day three, but I mean, I, th I was seeing all this stuff about, well, how can they not know uh, about Jalen hurts now after they just went through that with Carson? Well, guess what? Carson Wentz in the end decided he did not want to come back as the Eagles quarterback with Jalen hurts behind him. And maybe some of the younger players gravitating more towards Jalen and Carson sees that he didn't want to be a part of that situation anymore. So um, I, I, I just I just think you always take a shot at quarterbacks and the Eagles have the assets now to be able to do that next year after this season. All right. Last one from me, John. Uh, appreciate you hopping on the program. Uh, the quarterback dynamic now with South Jersey's own Joe Flacco coming back, veteran guy, Super Bowl winner, 10 postseason wins. Uh, seems to want to compete. How do you think that's going to mesh? Second part, 
greatest wrestling interview you've ever done? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I guess I'm going to have to think about that second question while I'm answering this one. Um, look, I, I think I think, Joe, from what I hear, I think he was good for Sam Darnold. That's what I hear. Um, uh, we're not talking about the play on the field. We're just talking about being a support, uh, helping him, even though Joe, Joe wants to be the starter, of course. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think Joe will be good for Jalen. And I think it's good that Joe is home. Um, so, so I think, I think, I mean, once again, I, I, everybody was criticizing the Eagles for spending that much money on a backup quarterback. I would have liked them to get Jacoby Brissett as a backup, because I think that he would have been great bringing kind of like Nick Sirianni's approach to some of the other guys on offense, but that didn't work out. He got more money than Joe Flacco. Um, but to answer your second question, greatest wrestling interview. Um, wow. That is a good question. So I'm going to go with, uh, wow. I'm going to go with the ultimate warrior. Wow. All right. Um, just the things he revealed. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's fascinating because in, in wrestling history, you've got great showmen, and then you've got great tactical wrestlers. And Vince McMahon kind of built the national, made wrestling a national phenomenon, not so much because of the workers, but because of the, the showmen. showmen. Yeah. And yeah. Hulk Hogan and all those guys. So Ultimate Warrior really didn't have, like, you know, great wrestling skills. No. But, man, he connected, and he, he got over, as they say in wrestling, with the public. Um, and so he was just a fascinating interview, wanting to get that respect from the workers. Because, uh, you know, I'm not saying he was mistreated, but a lot of the workers resented him. Yeah, yeah. Being the push that he got. But, um, you know, fascinating person. Uh, rest in peace. All right. I'm going to follow up in my partner's footsteps and ask you a two-part question. And I think you'll like both because one's a very simple yes-no answer. And the other one, you can't be wrong about it because it's only an opinion. A yes-no question Will Friday of draft week be a Johnny Sunshine Airport Day? Eagles first round draft pick. Will you be heading to Philadelphia International potentially to get him on camera before anybody else? And part two is, Noah, you're a big wrestling guy, but maybe only surpassed by your love of Bruce Springsteen. What is the most underrated Bruce song ever and you can create your own definition of underrated for me that would take out any of the ones who ever went to top 10 on a billboard chart or whatever what's your most underrated Springsteen song and are you airport bound the day after the Friday <laughs> the Thursday night start of the draft all right well to get another plug in I'm cleared for takeoff <laughs> <laughs> um, I was hoping originally when they were the sixth pick that Kyle Pitts could just drive up the road <laughs> uh, not gonna happen so yeah i'm cleared for takeoff um and and what a great question underrated see, see guys i'm not like old school bruce because i only started listening to him with the rising um and then i really just got into him seeing his show at the link uh, i believe he debuted lincoln financial field um maybe there was a soccer match but um underrated song for bruce springsteen um I mean, I don't know if it's underrated, but I'm going to go growing up. Okay. That's not bad. Uh, I'm not as big a Springsteen fan as you are. It's been the same answer for me for close to 40 years now. I'm a Cadillac Ranch guy. 
always thought that that was one of Bruce's best songs. Never got the kind of play that his uh, all-time great hits did. But uh, Cadillac Ranch comes out, and I am the worst singer you've ever heard. If I get that one while I'm in the car, yes, I roll up the windows, and I do have to sing it. So. That's awesome. Um, and, I, and I would say I would say just a song that I, I love and I listen to all the time. When I'm at the gym, I love No Surrender. Um, and I love uh, My Love Will Not Let You Down. It just gets me going. But a song that I just love and am inspired by, and Pat Riley one time said, he listens to this song every day, Land of Hope and Dreams. Yeah. Ooh, I wouldn't have gone there, but that's Pat Riley. So I'm okay with not going there. That didn't Johnny, get... Go ahead, John. <laughs> John, appreciate you coming on board with us. The podcast is Take Off with John Clark. You'll continue to see him on NBC Sports Philly and Channel 10, and you'll see him every once in a while right here on Bird Street 65. John, thanks much for hopping on board. Thanks, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Kayfabe. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Mr. Wrestling himself, John Clark, here with us on Birds 365. All right, McDonald McMullen coming back. We'll put a bow on the show. Keep it right here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. The middle. So, bro, I know we're going to get on that, but I, I, I got to say happy birthdays to the, to the kids in the stream. You know what I'm saying? We, we looking. We checking it out. Happy birthday to your, your kids, man. You know what I'm to saying? To who? The kids, man. I'm watching the stream, man. What stream? It's double birthdays. You got to keep your eyes yeah, off that stream. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, you have I mean, a conversation with the stream, and nobody has any idea what you're you talking gotta about. You got to give us That's a heads up. I got to get you hip to it. Because I then, get you hip to it. No, no, no. We I, have no I'm idea what you're talking bro. about. So now we're in the middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Happy right. birthday. Happy birthday yeah. to who? I have no idea what was, I, what's going on right now. I, I can just imagine people listening on Sports Map Radio just like, what did he just say? Who's Play action real. Play action real. His son, Nick. Happy birthday, bro. All the- right. Now, now everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, 16 today. Yeah. I mean, BS today. Seriously. This is like A.C. Green selling that he right. was a virgin back with Showtime. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers, we are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds, and planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming, it's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. D-A-T-L-E-S-E-O! Jody Mag. 
the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. Picking on us on a football Friday here on Birds 365 with the Mac and Mac guys. Let me take a page out of the middle's playbook and wish my wife, Carol McDonald, a happy birthday. Coming up on Sunday, uh, 39 and holding is Mrs. McDonald. So a happy 39th hour. Uh, Got to get that out of the way. I'm not getting it off the stream, but did want to uh, put that out there because if I don't, I'll hear about it. All weekend. Uh, Johnny Mac, any birthday uh, wishes you need to get out to cover the entire weekend? Uh, not right now, but happy birthday to Mrs. Mac. Uh, let's see. No, I'm good. I had to nope, think about no it. No brothers, quick. cousins, yeah. friends, no, anything. Not, like... not right now. Gotcha. I'd get in trouble if I forgot. So you put yeah. me on the spot. There. Yeah, I did. And I apologize for that. I'm going to put you on the spot again. Anything of any consequence happen in the National Football League? Eagles and or wide scoping the entire league over the weekend that you think will uh, grab our attention that we'll be chatting up come Monday? What we've talked uh, about earlier in the week, I think is the biggest thing right now. And that's the wrangling between the league and the players association about offseason work. You saw a couple more teams uh, say they're not going to show up for voluntary work. So it's sort of that back and forth negotiation within the, the CBA uh, when they shouldn't be negotiating. But uh, the players have already gotten some concessions about the new schedule, and we'll see. I, I don't think there's any doubt that rookies and first-year players are going to be doing some on-field work. Uh, I think the only question is, are we going to see veteran players before minicamp? I think minicamp is going to get done. We'll see if it takes out that way, but you're right. There is some good give and take back and forth, heave and ho, on whether uh, camps will get underway as scheduled or if there's going to be enough pushback that it's all virtual. We'll uh, talk about that on Monday. We'll talk more NFL draft. We got an NFL draft guest coming up, Jordan Reed from the NFL Draft Network, and also Mike Gill from 97.3 ESPN down the shore, a guy that uh, Johnny Mack has done a lot of work with. I work with Mike Gill at a radio station in town for a period of time. Yeah, didn't he but, intern for you, Jody? By the I, way, Jake Asman interned for you. He told me that on Aton's show, and I forgot to bring it up. How does Aton know Jake? Jake hops on with Aton at least uh, once a week, maybe a really? couple times a week. Yeah, I did not know. I had Jake on my CBS show over the weekend, as a yeah. matter of fact. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, I uh, had uh, a couple of guys up at CBS Gil, I think, was actually a producer. I don't know if he was an oh, intern. I, I didn't, know. I, didn't I, know. I think they actually paid him four seventy-five an hour uh, <laughs> over there at uh, what used to be nine fifty ESPN. So looking forward to talking to Mike Gill on Monday. Be tuned for that. Uh, Johnny Mac, I know you got no birthday celebration. I'm going to have some cake. I'll have an extra piece for you to help celebrate my wife's birthday. Have a great weekend any way you slice it, big guy. You too, Jody. Two weeks in the books. Really successful. John Clark, Nick Ferry, Nick Fierro, thanks for them for joining in the program. It's been a great two weeks. And uh, they haven't fired us yet. So expect to be back here Monday on Birds 365. Have a great weekend, football fans.
If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.